to uh, a privilege for me to be able to join you in um, looking at Psalms together. I think uh, a summer walk in the Psalms is just a, a delightful idea. I think uh, Psalms are some of the most uh, beloved scriptures. Uh, most of us probably have our favorites. Psalms are kind of a basic Christian vocabulary. I, if, if we took the time, we could probably spend all morning uh, reflecting together on what's our favorite psalm and why it's our favorite. Um, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Uh, bless the Lord, all my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Taste and see that the Lord is good. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God is our refuge and strength. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Now that's just a sample of what some of the Psalms hold. I think the Psalms, have, they've taught us to sing and I think the Psalms have taught us to pray. Walter Brueggemann, who's an Old Testament scholar, uh, has a system to help us understand the variety of Psalms. He suggests that we regularly find ourselves in one of three places in life and in the Psalms. The first is a, a place of what he calls orientation. Psalms of orientation offer us a, a sense of confidence uh, in the regularity of life and of God's creation. Uh, in these Psalms, the good prosper, uh, the wicked are judged, and God is faithful. And then life happens. And some Psalms speak of disorientation. They recognize that our world, personal or otherwise, can collapse suddenly uh, without warning. And so we lament. We lament life in the pit. We confess that sin has us in its grip. Psalms of disorientation find us in the darkness. Life is not the way it's supposed to be. And then there's a third place. A place where God hears and God responds. Psalms of new orientation are bursting with thanksgiving, awe, and gratitude. Mourning has become gladness because God has rescued us. Psalms of new orientation are more than just a, a return to normal. We've entered a new stage in our, our journey of faith. Our eyes have been opened to God's fresh new ways of grace and love and faithfulness. And so our faith cannot remain as it was. No, we grow and our walk with God moves forward. Well, today what I'd like to do is explore with you a psalm of disorientation. It's a psalm of confession. The words may be familiar to you. Listen to Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what's evil in your sight. So you're right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. 
Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. This is the word of the Lord. Eustace Scrub was in a horrible mess. Uh, Not only was he on an adventure he didn't want, but he had also become a dragon. We meet Eustace in C.S. Lewis's story, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Eustace was selfish and rude. Uh, He figured that the world should cater to him. The Dawn Treader lands on an island, and Eustace, trying to avoid the work others were engaged in, sets out to explore the island. In his wandering, Eustace stumbles upon a dying dragon. And after the dragon died, Eustace sought shelter in the dragon's cave, where he discovered treasure. And so Eustace fell asleep atop piles of gold, his dreams filled with greedy thoughts and dragonish ideas. In fact, he awoke as a dragon. And dread gripped him. Eustace found himself grotesquely alone. He had become a monster, cut off from all humanity. It's the kind of mess we can experience. Our behavior cuts us off from friends, family, even from God. We're not our true selves. We act like monsters. The Bible has one word for our mess, sin. We are sinners. Psalm 51 brings our sin out into the open. This psalm helps us acknowledge sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. We realize we're out of step with God. Psalm 51 invites us to get honest to God about our sin Of course, that's hard to do. I mean, we live in a culture of euphemism. We don't fire people. We let them go. And the person who's fired says, they're between jobs. We don't say a person died. We say, they passed away. And funeral directors refer to their corpses as our loved ones. Likewise, we don't call sin a sin. Therapy says we're responding to our human nature in inappropriate ways. 
education says that we don't have proper understanding and government just seeks plausible deniability. Neil Plantinga notes that we used to flee from sin. We were grieved by its presence in our lives. Now, he says, we confess our problems with human relational adjustment dynamics and especially our feebleness in networking. Once, our sin made us wonder about participating in church communion, or we questioned our soul's destiny. Today, says Plantinga, we acknowledge, I'd like, just like to share that we need to, need to target holiness as a growth area. See, when it comes to sin, we don't speak clearly. But the Bible does. The Bible doesn't flinch when it comes to sin. It zeroes in on our failing like the time Nathan the prophet visited David the king and told him a story. He says, once there were two men, a rich man and a poor man. The rich man had more flocks than you could count, herds of sheep, herds of cattle. The poor man had one little lamb, like a child to him. It, it ate off his plate, it drank from his cup, it slept in his bed. And a traveler came by the rich man's house, and the rich man was too stingy to kill from his own flock, so he took the poor man's lamb to prepare a meal for his guest. While David exploded, as surely as God lives, the man who did this ought to be lynched. He must repay four times over for his crime and his stinginess. And Nathan didn't pull any punches. He looked David in the eye and said, you're the man. And David knew it. The subheading of Psalm 51 says Psalm was written after Nathan's confrontation with David over his sin with Bathsheba. David knew he was a sinner. He took Bathsheba, exercising power over her. He killed her husband, Uriah. But more he knew that preeminently his sin was against God. I've sinned against the Lord, he confessed. That was his response to Nathan. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what's evil in your sight. David treated God with contempt. Sin offends God. And we may be able to con others or ourselves, but God's law holds up a mirror of self-understanding. And what do we see? We come to see our lives as God sees them. The psalm writer notes the nature of sin. First, Psalm 51 points out the rebellion. In verses 1 and 3 and 13, the word transgressions is used. Transgression is defiance in the face of lawful authority. It's a, a child rebelling against the limits set by their parent. God says in Isaiah, I raised children, I brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. Rebellion mimics the first humanist sin when we made a declaration of independence from God. Then Psalm 51 uses the word iniquity to describe our disobedience. We deliberately choose the wrong path. Our sin is strangely perverse. We, we disobey on purpose 
And yet, we still try to rationalize our actions. Jeremiah 3 says, They've chosen crooked paths and have forgotten the Lord their God. In truth, our sin is failure. We miss the mark. We don't measure up. Our actions fall short. Rather than achieving God's ideal, we we pursue our own glory and fail. Sin is as much about what we don't do as what we do. Romans 3 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. See, sin is rebellion and disobedience and failure. My sin is always before me, says Psalm 51. It holds up this mirror for us. You're the one. We, we fail others. We fail God. We commit sin and we omit sinning by not doing what's right. And worst of all, Psalm 51 makes clear that our sin is ultimately against God. Our sin offends God. Honest to God, I am a sinner. We are sinners. And our best course is to plead with God for help, to throw ourselves on God's grace. We don't do this so that God will change God's mind and forgive. No, we confess because God is gracious. We humbly confess because God has forgiven us in and through the work of Jesus Christ. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Psalm 51 points us towards God's favor. Have mercy on me, O God. Have grace, God. This is God's unearned favor because God, by nature, is gracious. Psalm 145, we read earlier in the service, says this. God's slow to anger, abundant in mercy, according to your unfailing love. It's God's hesed, God's covenant love, It's the love that only God can provide. It's God's love over the long haul. It's God's love for us in Jesus Christ. According to your great compassion, it's God's tender mercy. God feels for us as a a parent feels for for their child. It's God's becoming human to set us free from sin and death. Old Testament commentator John Golden Gay sums up. He says, we confess Because God's our Lord, whose favor we can seek. Our ally, whose loyalty we can expect. Our brother, whose sympathy we may depend on. God's grace is our only hope. There's nothing we can do to help ourselves. Eustace's dragonish appearance was more than he could stand. He was cut off from everything and everyone who brought meaning to his life. He despaired for his life. Until one morning, a lion approached Eustace the dragon. Now, it wasn't just any old lion. It was Aslan, the great lion, the godlike lion, a lion to be feared for what he could do. 
The lion led Eustace to a spring of water. And the lion told Eustace that before he could enter the water, he must undress. And so Eustace the dragon began to scratch and scales fell off. In fact, he discovered that as he scratched deeper, his whole skin began to peel off like a a snake shedding his skin. But just as Eustace went to put his leg into the water, he saw that his leg was just as scaly and wrinkled as before. Eustace could not change himself. The same is true with our sin. Only God can remove the scaly skin of our sin. Only God can forgive. Only God can create a new heart. Only God can because of God's grace for us in Jesus Christ. And so we respond to God's grace by asking forgiveness and seeking renewal. God's grace means nothing until we turn to God. So we ask for pardon or forgiveness. Cleanse me, wash me, hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. On the basis of God's love, we seek forgiveness. And Psalm 51 gives us a variety of pictures here. Forgiveness is like removing defilement, the uncleanness that separates. Cleanse me. I mean, imagine a person in an isolation ward because their disease is so contagious Their plea is to be made clean, to be relieved of the disease. Forgiveness is like doing the laundry. Wash me. I mean, we need more than a little pre-wash or a little tide. Our prayer is for God to do a thorough scrubbing. I need a powerful, deep clean into the very fabric of my soul. Forgiveness is like hearing someone say, that's all right. We need God to disregard our sin. Hide your face. We need God to receive our words, armed, I'm sorry, with those words that bring us back. That's okay. Forgiveness is like wiping the slate clean. Blot out. We need God to erase the record. We need God to expunge it from the books so that he will never come back and say to us, oh, you did that again, did you? And then we take a a second step into God's grace by seeking renewal. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Our prayer is that God would do what God's best at, creating. There's no hope for recovery from sin without God's work in our lives, that work of creating. Our sin cannot outdo God's grace, which means that our sin is not the main event. The center stage belongs to God, our creator. God's recreative work is at display in our lives. Eugene Peterson once said that human sin's a matter of endless reruns. But he said God's forgiveness and salvation are always new. We have a finite number of ways to sin. God has an infinite number of ways to forgive. And every time it happens... It's fresh, original, catching us by surprise. We stand before God, confessing our sins, seeking renewal. We pray that God would make us who God created us to be. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Make us new again, God, as you once did. Restore us to be the persons you want us to be. 
in confession, we surrender to God. We give our hearts, our lives into God's hands. Repentance is not only a change of heart, but a change of direction. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. We turn away from our way to pursue God's way. We turn around to run in God's direction. God wants our broken spirit, our broken heart. Confession isn't complete until we turn our lives around and surrender to God. Right when we acknowledge we're failures, God is there. God doesn't come to us because our lives are flawless. God comes to us because we're broken down. Jesus tells a story in Luke 15 of the wandering son coming home to a father who was looking for him every day and runs out to greet him. Psalm 51 says that God's not interested in our ritual performances. You don't delight in sacrifices or I would bring it. You don't take praise and pleasure in burnt offerings. God doesn't accept us because we go through the motions. God welcomes our honesty, not the masks we tend to wear. God receives us just as we are, not the prettified version of ourselves we present to others. We can trust God's grace to welcome us home as we surrender ourselves to God, getting honest to God. The message puts verse 16 like this, I learned God worship when my pride was shattered. Heart-shattered lives ready for love don't for a moment escape God's notice. Confession calls us to a place where we place our lives in God's hands. And God is pleased with humbled hearts that surrender to his mercy. Eustace could not undragon himself. His efforts were never permanent. He had to submit to the lion's claws to undragon himself. The lion could pull the skin off permanently. Aslan's claws felt terrible at first, But Eustace declares, the only thing that made me able to bear it was the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. Surrendering to the lion's claws was Eustace's salvation. Someone once said, only Christians sin. I think that means that only Christians know the need to confess. Our only hope of being what God wants us to be is to trust ourselves into God's hands. One author notes, Honesty before God requires the most fundamental risk of faith we can take. The risk that God is good and that God loves us unconditionally. To bring the truth of ourselves just as we are to God, just as God is, is the most dignified thing we can do in this life. To bring ourselves, just as we are, to God, just as God is, 
is the most dignified thing we can do in this life. God wants our broken spirits. God wants our broken hearts. God will take us just as we are. We'll receive all who confess. We'll receive all who surrender their lives into his hands. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. See, confession isn't groveling before God. Our confession puts us at the threshold of hope. Our confession puts us before our gracious God, before our God who's unfailing in love. I mean, we may feel that our sin is monstrous, but greater than our sin is God's grace. Oh, there's no way I want to minimize sin. But sin's not at the center stage. God's work to forgive our sin is the main event. Deliver me, O God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. So I'd like to ask you now to just get ready to pray. Maybe you've never... Uh, ask God to forgive you for anything before in your life. Well, today's a good day to start. Or maybe you've walked with God for a long time, but there's something that you haven't dealt with, something that's troubling you. Now's the time to talk to God about it. So I'm going to invite you to close your eyes and talk to God. You don't have to hide anymore. There's no more pretending you need to do. You can name whatever's on your heart you can name it to God. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's anger or bitterness. Perhaps you have this insatiable desire for more. Or maybe you're wrestling with some sexual deal. Or perhaps a spirit of self-righteousness. Let the lion undragon you. So allow me to lead you into a prayer of confession. Let's pray together. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name, through Christ our Lord, we lay our lives before you, Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayers. O God, wondrous in love for sinners, we give you thanks for saving grace. You don't hold against us our treachery and neglect, but you let them drop. 
You don't hold against us our conceit and indifference. But let them go. Forgiveness is your gift to us. We've been saved by grace through faith, and all of this is your gift. Surely there is none like you. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Willoughby Church Sermon Podcast. The Willoughby Church Podcast Network also has podcasts about discipleship, the Heidelberg Catechism, and even a podcast hosted by some of the youth. You can find out more about the Willoughby Church Podcast Network by going to willoughbychurch.com.